As we have been studying through Romans, we come to this section and beginning in chapter 12 to the end where we realize that this is how the gospel is displayed in and through God's people. Uh, we see in chapter 12 the life of a, a living sacrifice, um, serving one another with gifts of, that God has given us. We see the marks of a Christian. And now in chapter 13, as we began to look last week, is the submission to the governing authorities, the government, and really... Uh, last week, we, we came to understand that um, that is what God desires for us to do. And so I wanted to zoom in on one of these verses at the beginning of Romans chapter 13 this morning. I'll read the section that we looked at last week, and then we will focus on verse 5 this morning. But listen to God's word, Romans 13, 1 through 7. It said, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger of, and who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. We recognize that um, echoes what Christ had said when it comes to the paying of taxes and just submitting to the governing authorities in that way. And so today I wanted to look at how can we do that in light of our conscience. As we see in verse 5, our conscience here is one of the reasons we are supposed to submit to the government. And so we must ask, how can we do that when the government's corrupt? As I mentioned last week, it's not as though Paul was writing in a time where the government was all uh, spick and span, where they were believers, where they were loving the Lord with all their hearts and spending money wisely. No, no, we looked last week and we understood that even at this time, it was encouraged by their Roman government to have slaves. It was encouraged that the tax collectors would take more than they needed to. So this was a government that was quite corrupt. And so Paul, in saying that uh, they, and, and also God by his grace to us, that we should submit to our governing authorities, and as Jesus said, pay tax to whom tax is owed, to what Caesar is owed. And so then we say, how can we do that knowing what our government spends money on? And how can we submit to them knowing that some of the things that they do in this world are just atrocious? And so we want to look at verse 5, which says, if you look in your Bibles closely, it says, Therefore, so all, because God has designed it, because God is sovereign over it, that, that no authority that exists is apart from Him, because of that, therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. The avoiding of this wrath is that he has given the governing authorities the ability to judge you, to put you in jail, to behead you if necessary. He has given them that authority in this world. And so if we want to avoid God's wrath through them, we do what they ask. That is a hard 
pill to swallow. But the second part of why we're supposed to do it, not just because we trust the sovereignty of God and avoid his wrath, but it says, also for the sake of conscience. We'll deal with uh, the conscience in a, in a fuller, more biblical, theological way in, when we get to chapter 14, because it deals heavily with the conscience. But here we must deal with it as we think about our conscience and the government, and specifically how we interact with them with a, a Christian conscience. How can I have a conscience that God has so given me and yet live in this country and pay my taxes and stand by as they do some of the things they do? But to get there, in order to understand how we're supposed to have our conscience existing in this, in this country, we must understand, well, what is the conscience? And what is the conscience not? And how are we supposed to live with a conscience? Of course, we, all, we only want to know what God says about the conscience we don't care about some psychoanalysis of the conscience or some comic strip about a com- uh, the conscience. We look to God because it is his perfect and good design that you and I have a conscience. God gave us it, and he gave it to us for his glory and for our ultimate good. So this is important to think through, so important to think through, because biblically, if we disobey our conscience, we sin. If we disobey our conscience, we sin. James 4.17 says, Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. If your conscience says this is right, and you neglect to do that, you are in sin. If your conscience says something is wrong and you do it, you are in sin. And so it's important to understand that what the conscience really is. Is it just what the general concept of the world understands it to be? So when we're, if you're writing notes, the first point would be the general concept of a conscience. The world may think of a conscience, they may imagine a devil on one shoulder, an angel on the other shoulder. That's your conscience. It's the, the voices inside your head arguing back and forth. No, don't do that. Yes, do that. You're going to love it. It's the temptation. The, the good part of the conscience represents God and, and goodness. And the bad part of the conscience is the devil. And he's tempting you always to do what is not to be done. That's what the world thinks of normally when you say conscience. They think, oh yes, the good and bad devil on my shoulders. Telling me what to do and what not to do. And tell me when I've done wrong. That's what the conscience is jokingly Uh, talked about as in comic strips or in popular thinking. And is that what the conscience is? Is it just the moral compass of a life? Is it what tells you what is right and wrong? Is it just two competing voices inside one's head? Well, we know the conscience is indeed uh, the the moral compass, or instead it more shows when we have disobeyed our moral compass If our heart says, and and we believe in our mind that something is wrong, our conscience says, guilty, when we've disobeyed our own sense of morality. Depending on where that sense of morality is from, that doesn't matter. What matters is the conscience says, you're wrong, or you're right. You should be guilty. You should be ashamed. That's the conscience. It's not necessarily telling us, do this because it's right, or do that because it's wrong. The conscience instead just convicts us of our sin. And so it's the idea of having a sense of right and wrong and not wanting to disobey that within our own selves. Oftentimes, when someone thinks of the word uh, conscience, they also might think of the conscientious objectors when it comes to the war. Especially in the First World War, there was many uh, conscientious objectors who would stand up and say, for religious reasons, I cannot go to war because it's against my conscience. 
My conscience, I cannot go to war because my conscience won't allow me to stand there with a gun or to shoot someone or to even say that I'm in the armed forces. Someone's conscience could say, no, that's wrong. And so that's, again, where the popular culture thinks of conscience. They think of uh, that concept as well. Well, the problem is the conscience has problems. Is If that's to be our moral compass as to what is right and wrong, we are in deep trouble. The first problem with the conscience is that it is circumstantial. That it depends on your upbringing, whether you determine what's right or what's wrong, whether you feel bad for something or not. A child, God forbid, who grows up in a gang family, does not think physical violence is wrong. They might not feel bad for punching someone in the face. You might shake your head at that, but you know it's true. Someone who grows up around violence and they see that as the norm and everyone accepts it in their culture, they would think that's normal and they would not feel bad to hit someone. You see children who grow up in homes where uh, filthy language is the norm on the television, out of their parents' mouths, and they do not feel bad saying a curse word. You don't even, they don't even flinch, six, seven, eight-year-old. It's because their conscience is not, has, has so been shaped by their circumstance. So they don't think it's wrong. What, what, what do you mean that's a bad word? I don't understand. Right? And so you, you can begin to see how the conscience then is uh, circumstantial. And so that's a problem. You have kids who might grow up in a cannibalistic tribe. And they do not think it's wrong to eat their enemy who has died or they have killed. That's not wrong. I've never known it to be wrong. I don't feel bad about that. It is circumstantial. That's what's wrong with the con- That's one thing that's wrong with the conscience. It is circumstantial. A second thing that's wrong with the conscience is it is misinformed. It might have wrong information, and therefore it says, yes, you should be guilty, or no, you should not be guilty, because of misinformation. R.C. Sproul says, we have to remember that acting according to conscience may sometimes be sin as well. Because he's thinking about that verse in James, which says, you know, if you act contrary to your conscience, you are sinning. But he says, if you act with your conscience, you may also be sinning. Because what determines what is sin is not your conscience. It's God. So that's the problem with the conscience, is it might have misinformation. You might be misinformed about what is sin and what is not sin. R.C. carries on, he says, it is misinformed because the person has been negligent in studying the word of God. The reason people are misinformed is because they are not informed by God, they are informed by whatever it may be. A third problem with the conscience is that it can often be insensitive. Whether that's because of biblical negligence, it just grows insensitive. They don't, they don't know it's sin, they don't care if it's sin, they just walk away if it's sin, and they don't feel wrong anymore. It's insensitive and in that a conscience is immature, and a conscience must grow. You must grow in your understanding of right and wrong and feeling bad for things. Also, in the insensitivity of the conscience, it can be seared or become callous. If you, if you sin, you tell a lie, and you feel bad about it the first time, and you tell a lie tomorrow, you feel less bad. Three weeks from now, if you've lied every day, you don't feel bad anymore. It's become seared or callous. That's a big problem with your conscience, because then if you are only doing things because your conscience has either approved you or made you guilty, well, three weeks in, you don't feel guilty anymore. So then you just keep doing as you do. The conscience it has a problem that it is insensitive. And that would come from biblical negligence, not reading and studying your Bible. Because the Bible is going to convict you and prick you and not allow that callous to form. But 
if we just avoid it and we just keep doing it until it doesn't feel bad anymore. That's a problem with our conscience. And the fourth problem with our conscience is that sometimes it is oversensitive. Not just insensitive, it doesn't care what God says, it doesn't care about sin, and it's, it's grown cold or deaf to sin. It can also be oversensitive. So that if you have a conviction about something, you become uh, imposing that on other people. One great example of an oversensitive conscience is if you have the, in your conscience, it is wrong to drink alcohol. All alcohol. If you think it's wrong, And your oversensitive conscience would say it's wrong for everyone to drink a drop of alcohol. That's oversensitive. You're saying, because it's wrong for me, I feel convicted if I touch a beer. Then, me to impose that on you is an oversensitive conscience. The Bible does not say it's wrong to consume alcohol. The Bible says it's wrong to be drunk and not to be sober. So then you cannot impose that sort of prohibition on people because of your conscience. So that's an oversensitive conscience. So that becomes a problem. You become legalists who impose your values and your your gray areas on everyone and say, this must be the law. You have to wear skirts. You cannot touch alcohol. There is no dancing allowed, no cards, no gambling. That is all sin, right? And so it's an oversensitive conscience. And that is a problem because it just takes hold of a sinful heart that says, yeah, I know best. And I'm going to run with this. And you obviously are wrong. There's four problems with the conscience. Not just this general concept the world understands it as maybe the devil on the shoulder. And it's not just that the conscience has problems. But we see there is a biblical concept of the conscience. In Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, it says, For when Gentiles, who do not have the law by nature, do what the law requires, they themselves are a law. Even though they don't have the law, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness. Uh, Their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. So this conscience is a biblical concept, something that God has ingrained in every human being. By nature, it says, they understand right and wrong. And, And they feel bad when they do wrong, and they feel good when they do right. It is a God given uh, by nature, gift. John MacArthur says it is a built-in warning system that signals us when something we have done is wrong. The conscience is to our souls what pain sensors are to our body. It inflicts distress in the form of guilt whenever we violate our heart. That's so true. Every human being has a conscience. But then when the Holy Spirit comes, He comes to convict the world concerning sin becomes a whole new thing. The conscience, which may be natural in every human being, is transformed when the Holy Spirit of God comes into that life. When this happens, when we hear the good news about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, we hear it with new ears. And a conviction of our heart will not allow us to be easy in any sin. The Holy Spirit has awakened our conscience to see what is true and what is false to see what is sin and what is not sin. The good news becomes alive to us, and we are convicted of our sin, and then we cry out, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? That's what happens when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of our conscience. When our consciences are pricked by God himself that says, you are wrong, you are wretched, and by grace we're able to conclude, thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
that there is a deliverance. That that shame, that guilt, that, that um, wrongdoing, that inclination for, for walking our own way is now harnessed by the Holy Spirit of God. By grace, conviction of sin comes. Not just in a sense that I've wronged myself or wronged my community or, or wronged my family values. No, but further than that, I have sinned against God. The one who made me. The one who is the judge of all the earth. And then if you've experienced this, Hebrews 3 gives us a warning. It says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, so long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. But instead, you call upon Jesus to forgive you, equip you, enable you. You look to the very one who took your sin upon himself and all the judgment of God owing you. You look to him, and if you do, oh, how sweet it is that you have new birth. The promise of God, you have it, that he would come into your life and convict you of sin, and it's for your good and for his glory. It's the promise of God that he made of the new covenant people. What we see in Ezekiel chapter 36, he says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and I will cause you to walk in my statutes, to be careful to obey my rules. That broken conscience of yours the one that has led you many days and in many ways to live contrary to God and sin. Now by His grace, He speaks His word through His Spirit to it and will cause you to walk in obedience to His rules, He says. He is the one, as He comes into our life by the Holy Spirit's power that convicts us of sin, that says, I will no longer do that. That used to be me, but not anymore. No longer. I used to be callous to that. I used to be okay with that. But now you see this transformative power of your conscience slowly beginning to be reshaped into the image after its creator. We, we have a, a, a higher sense of what is right and what is wrong. Our conscience then, by the Holy Spirit's power, is fourthly aligned with God's will. We know what's right and wrong based on not what we say or what our society says, but what God says. Our conscience is being aligned to the will of God because, and, and because of the problems, the conscience cannot be our final authority. There's so many problems with the conscience, it cannot be our final authority because when it comes to our decisions of right and wrong and how to act in this world, because our conscience is fallible. Or another way of saying it is because we are sinful and we are changing, we can never ultimately trust our conscience. If that is our sense of right and wrong, we are in deep trouble. But that's why we have Scripture, which the Spirit makes precious to us. Jeremiah 31, 33 says, For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Since our conscience, then, should be in aligned with God's will, and He says what's right and what's wrong, that He should determine how we think and, and how we feel, then God determines what is obedience and what is disobedience. So then we should do, as our conscience is pricked by the Holy Spirit, what he convicts us to do. And here, specifically in Romans chapter 13, it's telling us how we should respond to our governing authorities. So our conscience, in relation to our government, then we must 
understand, now that understanding that there is a biblical understanding of a conscience. So then, what does this verse say about our conscience? It tells us that we must be subject. It says, therefore, one must be in subjection. That's what we're supposed to obey. Be in subjection. And so then, if we are not in subjection, our conscience is to be pricked. It is to say, you are in the wrong. You are not obeying your government. It, I, here's the truth. I struggle with this one as it comes to speeding limits. Right? Just, just being honest. The governing authorities have set a maximum speed limit. And I, I'm not convicted when I do 20 or 30 over that sometimes. Uh, it's, not, it's funny, but it's not, right? Because if that is the governing authorities, and they have determined that that is what is safe, and that is the law, and it is against the law to do that, um, this says that I should feel bad when I speak. And, and God has told me that I'm supposed to submit to that and, and obey that. So I should feel bad. My conscience should be pricked when I do that. And so that's just something I need to ask God for. Is like, give me more of a conviction when I disobey the law. Especially when those laws are good. They're in good, uh, they're for our good, because that's what the government is supposed to set laws for, is for our good. That prevents accidents, prevents harm to, to other people. And so when, when the law is doing what they should be doing, and it's right and it's good, man, we ought to be subject to that. And we ought to feel bad when we're not subject to that. We're supposed to uh, always go with our conscience. Well, what if our conscience is wrong? And my conscience says, well, it's not a big deal if I obey the government in that way. Then we are in sin. You see in this text, Paul has laid before us, he's carrying out this God given, the government that he has in this passage is, as much as in his time it was not an ideal government, here he lays out for us what a government should be doing, ideally. They are governing for the people's good and for um, exercising God's will in terms of proper judgment in the world. So this government that he has pictured here is a, uh, a good government, ideal government. They're acting for the good of the citizens and punishing the lawbreakers. We want that of our government. So it's the will of God to submit to this kind of government. But what about to a government who is not doing good? We submit to the government except when we don't. When we don't submit to them. When we shouldn't submit to them. Because of our conscience, as believers, with God's law written on our hearts and through his word, increasingly aware of what pleases him and what displeases him, there are things that our government will, will require us to do where our God-led conscience makes us say, no. No. For Daniel, it was not bowing down. The governing authorities had come with a decree that said, if you bow down, to any other thing other than uh, Darius, you are doomed for the lion's den. So he went and he prayed to God and he bowed down to God. He said no. Because it was obeying them over God. And he said never. My conscience will not allow that. My conscience will not allow me to do that. Because he, he knew the Ten Commandments. You shall not bow down to any created thing. So he said no. I will not. And I'll take the penalty. Willingly went to the lion's den. He said no. So in our context, in our world, there's going to be things where the government's going to make rules or or make us possibly have to say no. One thing that is a gray area for many Christians, and it is is a hard thing that we must wrestle with, and here's the thing that 
your conscience might be different than my conscience on this one when it comes to war or capital punishment. You might disagree with another believer, and that is good and healthy and okay, but that is one of those things where our government declares either I am a government that supports war or I am a government against war. And so then we must be able to say, I can support that with a clear conscience or I cannot support that because of my conscience. Um, there's this thing that I, I found, and I don't know if it's actually true, but there is a, a peace tax form that you can fill out and you refuse to pay um, the federal tax, which goes to our military. 9% of our federal tax goes to supporting military efforts. And so some people, whether it's successful or not, are trying to say, well, I refuse to pay that. I'll pay the rest. Um, because of their conscience. They say, I think it is wrong on every level to go to war. Uh, Jesus was a man of peace, and so we ought to be peaceful too. And so that's one thing where some believers and some people say, no, I can't support that. Or if I'm called up, I won't go. I can't go. So that's something that the conscience has to determine, whether we, because of our conscience, say yes or say no, say I support you or I do not support you. That's one area that God says, are you aware of what you believe? Because not what you feel, not what your emotions say, not what your society says, but what my word says. Ones that are clear cut, if our government ever begins to um, compel speech, as they already are, when it comes to gender, transgender, they make you speak a certain way. You have to use these terms. You have to use these pronouns. When the government says you are compelled to do that, you are compelled to call someone what they are not, what they were not born biologically. If you're compelled to call them that, you can say no. Because God designed them as a male. Or God designed them as a female. And so in your conscience, biblically, you should be able to say no. God has made them male and female. There is no other options. None of the 50 other options that are out there are true. So no, I will not bow down to that. If you see that on a form, black it out. Don't even let them think that that's an option to have other genders or have, an, have a no gender. That is not true. So just block that out. Say, no, I refuse to bow down to that. Other things is when the government tries to tell us we must redefine marriage. That you must say marriage is more than just for a man and a woman for life. We will with our conscience uh, pricked by God, say, no, it is only between a man and a woman because God instituted marriage. Marriage is something of God's, and so then if they try to tell us we must call um, a same-sex couple that it's marriage, you can say, no, it's not marriage. Only God institutes marriage, and he said what it means. So you can't redefine our version of marriage. So you'll say, no, and, and even if that means you'll be punished for saying a hate crime, to be punished for being um, intolerant, whatever it might be. The, your conscience has to be able to say no to your government. So as much as this passage, again, tells us, because your conscience, you're supposed to be subject to the governing authorities, well, when they disobey God, you disobey them. And not in every way, but in, in ways according to your conscience. Abortion's another issue. When your government says you have to support it, you say, no, I will not support murder. The murder of a child, a defenseless child, a child that God has created, knit together, I won't. I'll stand up against that. And so therefore, one of the ways that you can uh, have your conscience be, be true and subject to God is when it comes to how you vote. Do you vote for people who are uh, pro-life? Or are you, with a clear conscience, voting for people who are pro-choice, pro-death? <laughs> 
What's your conscience say? When you vote, do you really, is your conscience pricked about that person's position on killing babies? It should be. It should be. Do your research at, at election time. That's where our conscience comes into play in terms of our government. Another thing which is, which is a hot topic right now this month is assisted suicide. Our government is trying to expand that scope. So beyond just people who are uh, chronically ill, who have a foreseeable death in the next four months, they're trying to expand it and say, that doesn't matter anymore. Anyone can request to be killed by a doctor. If you have any sort of suffering, doesn't matter if it's foreseeable, doesn't matter if it's physical, doesn't matter if there's any healing or any medications, they say everyone should have a right to die, and a doctor should do it. Our government's deciding that right now. You say no. No. We do not play God. We say no, because that's against God. Our conscience should be pricked. When we hear conversations of people who say, oh yeah, I support what the government's doing with, with euthanasia, with assistance with, with MAID, so they want to dumb it down. Say no. My God will not allow that. He will not allow that. With evolution. When they say this is the truth. This is the facts. You can say no. I refuse to take that as fact. I will not support that. And so there's many things that our government says, this is the way, and you can say no. And you must say no if your conscience is, is full, informed by the will of God and, and wanting to please God and honor God. There are things that you say no to because of conscience. And if there's things that your conscience doesn't quite know where to fit, then Maybe, as R.C. said, that it's a, a biblical negligence. Maybe you're not aware. Maybe you haven't been in the, the, in the Bible to know how God would think about such things, how he would act about such things, what God desires about such things. And so, uh, of these issues and other issues, we must think, how do I be subject with a clear conscience? Because my conscience, by God's grace, is being conformed to the image of his Son. Romans chapter 12 begins with that, right? Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Like, let the Holy Spirit of God, the Word of God, wash you and, and cleanse your conscience so that you might know better today than you did yesterday what is right in God's eyes and what is wrong, so that you might obey your conscience, and your conscience might be less problematic than it naturally is. We want to be more in line with God so that we can say, yes, with a clear conscience, I'm not... I don't feel bad doing this. I don't feel bad saying no, or I don't feel bad saying yes. That's what God has called us to do. Is, and as His Holy Spirit comes and shapes us and forms us, we must submit to our government until we don't. The conscience says, I'm doing this because I trust God. That's what we see in Romans chapter 13 so far, is I'm doing this because I trust God. God has said, this is how it's going to go. Corrupt government or not, I trust Him. I trust Him, and so I pay my taxes. I trust them, so I submit to them. When they say, this is the law, I submit to them until it goes against what God has said. Therefore, because our conscience knows what is right and wrong, we obey God rather than government, but we will submit and support our government as long as they don't go contrary to God. So, the conscience is not this general concept of an angel on one shoulder, devil on the other. We must avoid and be aware of the problems in our own conscience and in the conscience of other believers and the conscience of people outside of your circles. Be aware of their conscience and the problems with the conscience. 
be alert to what a biblical conscience is. How a biblical conscience is shaped and formed and reformed by the Holy Spirit of God under the Holy Scriptures. And then pursue God's will. Pursue it. Pursue God's will with all your heart and all your soul so that everything you do, you can do with a clear conscience. Including submit to your government. We want to be people who honor God with not just our actions, not just our testimony, not just with our our mouths, but with our conscience even. We want to have a conscience which is more in line with God who says yes to what is good and no to what is evil. Let us be people who when we know that there is a, a, a searing or a callousness in our conscience, bring that to God and say, rip that callous off. I've become hardened to this and that's not your will for my life. Expose my heart. Expose my weakness. Show me the problems with my own conscience and conform it to your will. That's what we want to be, is people conform to the will of God so that we might be um, people who are convicted. We have convictions that are God's convictions and we stand on them without shame. And we will die for them without shame. God deserves that from our lives and from our consciences. Let us submit them to him in prayer. God, you are a great God, a God who knows all things, a God who is all-powerful. You could wipe out every evil government. You could wipe out every evil soul, but God, that would have included us. So we are thankful that Christ has pardoned our guilty estate because he has paid for our sin where our conscience didn't tell us wrong or where we disobeyed our conscience and we sinned against ourselves, sinned against our our society and sinned against you ultimately. God, we need the forgiveness of Christ and we are so thankful for it that what he has done is is taken that sin and that shame upon himself and said it is finished. God, help us to live in light of the finished work of Christ on the cross that he has so brought us into a relationship with himself. Help us to be conformed to that image by your Holy Spirit, by your word, and even by each other, that we would guard one another from the deceitfulness of sin so that we would not be hardened. God, help us to surrender ourselves again and again to you, that you would conform us, that you would always be correcting us even if we thought we were right. God, we want to be people who are convicted because you have told us what is right and what is wrong. We want to do this because you deserve the honor and you deserve the glory. So would you do that with our lives? We surrender to you in Christ's name. Amen.